Uh, we are reading from Psalm 32. I'll give you a moment if you want to find it on your phone or if you've got a Bible with you. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely when the the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the lad and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of God. So uh, let's pray for for a moment. Dear Lord, we do pray that uh, just as your spirit inspired David to give us this psalm, this song, we pray that you would inspire us within our hearts to hear you speaking to us. Amen. Uh, Well, the psalms have been a great source of comfort, hope and encouragement to people down through the ages. Sometimes perhaps it's a bit hard to say what it is exactly that, uh, that reaches people. Uh, even before I came to faith, uh, they were a book I felt I could relate to. Uh, a guy called Temper Longman said, The Psalms put us in touch with our deepest emotions. Maybe it's something about their directness, and they are very direct, uh, like this psalm. And, and maybe it's the real honesty with which they approach everything, their openness. Psalm 32 has always spoken to me right from the first line, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. But there is more to uh, psalms than emotion. Um, They can teach us much about the plans and purposes of God. They speak theology, and the New Testament quotes them often. Psalm 32 uh, is one of the... where the writer has sought God's forgiveness and mercy for the wrong that he has done. Um, But having said that, the psalm is a very upbeat uh, psalm, uh, which brings me to my first point. Um, David is forgiven. That's uh, what you get in this psalm. And uh, he is enthusiastic about it. Um, I don't know whether you've been uh, keeping an eye on the uh, Olympics. Uh, It's probably hard not to, isn't it, really, at the moment? But... uh, you might have noticed uh, these two guys, Tom Dean and Duncan Scott, who won the gold and the s- silver, respectively, between, in the swimming uh, medals. 200-meter two, freestyle, uh, Tom Dean on the right there. And then, then they, they were part of the four-person team that won the 200-meter freestyle 
by four. Didn't you know, get my meaning. So Tom actually won two gold medals. And um, yeah, that's him. So <clears throat> that's interesting because he had COVID twice last year. And on one occasion, or one with one of the uh, viruses, he could not walk upstairs. Uh, that's hardly a good preparation for the Olympics. So no wonder that his family sort of went crazy. Maybe, maybe you saw it on telly when he actually won the gold. Well, David is no less enthusiastic than they were about what he is telling us. He too has been through a lot, and uh, we read that here. But now he's been forgiven. You can imagine David singing out this psalm of praise, directing us to call upon the Lord, verse 6, to rejoice and sing, verse 11. You feel that the experience, the uh, the enthusiasm coming across as, a, as a, you read the psalm. He is restored and he is set free. And he uses this term in verse 7 about song of deliverance. And that's in a sense what this psalm is. But this, this declaration, this exhortation to pray to God, is not just a theoretical sort of idea for him. Not something that he's come up with after thinking about stuff for a bit. It is a reaction to his own experience. He knows what it is to be forgiven. What, what it feels like to have the weight of guilt lifted off your shoulders. So he wants to shout it out and to tell people. The psalm is then a personal testimony. But now what I want us to do for a minute is to think about what we learn from it. So my next point. I think there are three things we can learn from it. So there's three things under this particular heading. First is, he keeps silent, he says that. Keeping silent about sin before God is not a good idea. And David declares that he, when he did that, he suffered as a result. We do not know whether that was a physical uh, suffering or whether it was like mental anguish. Sometimes I guess the two things are linked. Either way, in this account, you can see that it's a deep inner conflict for David. He's wrestling with his conscience and his sense of guilt. Now we know that when we have fallen out with somebody, it can result in a very real unrest within us. This unrest of mind and body even. But even so, often we doggedly keep up the silence and the tension between us and them. Well, David's symptoms, they may seem extreme if you read the psalm, but the stubbornness he speaks about is common enough, I would have said. We can also at times sense that we are not right with God, can't we? Through sin within ourselves. Find we are troubled, that things are not right, really, within us. But we push it out of our mind. And in today's society particularly, we are taught that guilt is often... Well, it is often said to be an imposition. That we are not to feel guilty. We're made feel to feel guilty by other people and circumstances. We should throw off guilt. But that's not such an easy thing to do, is it? All the same, I've noticed, I don't know about you, that in courts, when they're summing up, somebody's found guilty and they're summing up, uh, uh, maybe uh, deciding what the person should uh, be get, you know, how many years in prison or whatever, that uh, they're looking for, within the con convicted person, some sense of contrition or remorse. So we all know, don't we, 
then that the acknowledgement of guilt is an important thing. So David admits that he has kept silent, but he doesn't do that now. So the second thing is we need honesty before God. That's what he does. He's honest and confesses. Well, that is central to the forgiveness that David testifies to here. David says he acknowledged his sin before God, confessed it, and thereby discovered the liberation of forgiveness. But it starts with honesty about ourselves with God. Now, being honest with God might sound like something that's easy. But is it? It seems that it's hard enough to be honest with ourselves most of the time. But before God, we must be honest. David testifies that, that that is the way to forgiveness. You know that if someone hurts you, says something, does something, you would feel far better if they became, came to you and were honest about it rather than they concealed it. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So the third thing that we learn is that his sins are covered. What God does for David is to cover his sin. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. What God does is to remove his, our shame, and the anguish that we feel over our sin. He covers it, that we, um, but it's not what we might call a cover-up. Because notice in verse 5, David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. This is a confession, not a cover-up. But it's interesting that he uses the same word, cover. I did not cover. So what the psalm is saying is that God can't cover a person's sin until that person uncovers it. But now perhaps we move to our third point. How is sin covered? Or how it works? David was a great king, as you will read uh, in the Bible. But some things, as you also read, are very difficult to overlook. He did some things which are difficult to overlook how is it that just by confessing he is forgiven well in Romans 4 the apostle Paul is arguing that we are saved by grace through faith that we have done nothing to earn it and he points out that this has always been the case and he references the Old Testament and then he quotes directly from this psalm so this is the reading now to the one who works Wages are credited as a gift, but as, not as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Maybe I need to unpick that a bit. So if you've got a job, okay, you get your wages, and, and your employer doesn't give you the wages out of the kindness of their heart. They give it to you because you've earned it. They're obliged to give it to you. But if you didn't work, that's not the case. So Paul is arguing we're like the person who doesn't work when we come before God. But we trust in him who justifies the ungodly. 
And that faith is credited as righteousness. But then Paul goes on. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes the two first verses of this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. So it's not just Paul in the New Testament that's saying we have not earned forgiveness. But right here in the middle of the Psalms, David is saying the same thing. He's confirming that it is by grace that you are saved, forgiven, through faith in God. David doesn't mention that he's anywhere earned what he's got, but it's all the same convinced that those who, verse 10, trust in him are surrounded by God's love. In verses 1 and 2, that they are blessed or happy. In verse 11, he then says they are righteous. To put that all together, Paul quotes Genesis 15, and he says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So there we have, in Genesis, in the Psalms, and in Romans, the same thing. God always relating to his people by their faith in him, not by works. What David did not know, of course, but we do, is that it is through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death that that has been made possible. That is the way God is able to square forgiveness with his perfect justice. The psalm then is a testimony to the grace of God. So my fourth and final point is where forgiveness leads. So in the psalm in verse 8, you may have noticed that it suddenly switches to God speaking to David. In the psalms that sometimes happens. It switches who is actually talking to you when you're reading it. It's sort of God gets the right reply, I guess. And uh, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. But then he has this funny sentence. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. So what does he mean by that? Well, we know that David has been brought low. He's suffered, but has come to his senses now, and has turned to God, and he has been forgiven. But God now takes David beyond forgiveness to something else to his desire to having a living relationship with us, with him. So forgiveness is not then an end in itself. It's leading us somewhere. What God wants is a better relationship than you have with a senseless animal. That's what he's saying, like a stubborn mule. Now, you may have... um, Charlotte... Uh, there we go, Charlotte Dujardin, I think that's how you pronounce it, in the dressage in the, in the Olympics. So she won uh, a bronze medal, which then added up to six medals. I think that's, she's the most decorated female Olympian. And uh, with dressage, I don't know if you watched any of it, but what happens pretty much is the horse dances across the floor, uh, guided by uh, Charlotte. It's like the horse has got the moves, and it moves across the floor. But 
despite the fact that they have got this obviously very good relationship, she still uses the bit and the bridle to steer it, has to put pressure on the horse to obey because you cannot counsel a horse. He is saying, let us have a better relationship than that. I was speaking to uh, um, a young mum the other day and she was talking about um, one of her children and uh, the fact that they would be doing something and she would say, could you stop doing that? And the child would just carry on. So she'd say again, could you stop that? And the child would still carry on. So in the end they're going to have to raise their voice to shout or even go and physically intervene to stop the child. And she said, wouldn't it be so much better if we, he could just listen to me the first time round. God has his heart set on a relationship of closeness and intelligent cooperation where he is the one who instructs and counsels us in an honest, open and a living relationship with him. We often live as though as we should live only as we should when we have to when we fear the consequences. Instead, God is looking for those who will obey because they want to, out of love. He's looking for friends, not servants. So David's call to us is to pray to God while he may be found, to be open and honest with him, to confess and to receive forgiveness. And he will be with us when the day of trouble comes. We need his friendship and love above all else. It is what leads us to true happiness. So, then, we would say, as does our psalmist, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. And that's in and through the Lord Jesus. Amen. So thank you for all the questions you've been asking on, uh, on Pigeonhole. Some of them are, are really interesting and uh, looking forward to <laughs> hearing you tackle them, um, Angie. So um, to start with, someone asked, what if you forget a sin that you've done? So can we be forgiven if we haven't confessed and been honest kind of about, almost about every single sin that we've, that we've done? Mm. Yeah, I think that, yeah, what, what we're calling, uh, what you know, the psalm is calling us to do what uh, what God is calling us to do is confess the sins that, that, that we know about if there is one that you don't know about I don't think you have to worry about that I suppose you could pray if you want the God and there is um, a prayer such a prayer I think that's from the Bible that you where you're calling upon God to show us yeah I think it's from the Psalms actually to show us where we have gone wrong to show us what our sins are um, but I think for most of us uh, you calling to mind what you have done wrong is pretty much enough, I should think. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, someone asked, "What does it look like to conceal sin?" Um, which is, you know, what, what you've said that David was doing. And are we always aware of our sins? Yeah, so that's sort of linked to the other one in a way, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I don't think we are always aware of our sins, but to conceal it is that you, you know you have, um, but like David, I mean, he knew he'd sinned, really, but he didn't want to uh, address it or to accept it. Uh, all sorts of reasons that could happen, but 
Yeah, so that's to conceal it is where you do know it, but you sort of push it down. Uh, it's like, you know, in a relationship where you, you know really you ought to go and say sorry to somebody or that you, yeah, you ought to um, do something about it, but you don't. That's what it's like to conceal. Mm. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, so next question is, if a non-Christian sins, sins against you, do mm. we have to forgive them? So you've kind of said that God only forgives those who apologize to him. Um, then do we only need to forgive those who apologize to us? Is mm. that how it works? Yeah, that's a good question. That sort of really made my brain ache. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, the Bible tells us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So he didn't wait for us. To, uh, to confess our, our sins in that respect. I think it is right that we are honest with him. And, uh, and you know, David points to that as a way to forgiveness. Um, yeah, so that's right. So it, but, and we are called, as Christians, who've been forgiven to forgive those who sin against us. And uh, so I don't think we can really sit and wait and say, well, I'll wait until they say sorry. Um, no, I don't think that would be right, and I don't think that's biblical either. Um, but yeah, I do wrestle with the, with, with, with the connection that, that they've made there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that, uh, but basically, to answer the question, if, if somebody who's a non-Christian sins against you, but they don't apologize, you do still have to. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, what the, that's what the Bible calls us to do, to forgive, because you have been forgiven. So you should know that you should forgive yourself. Um, you say it in the Lord's Prayer, don't they? Don't you? That, uh, that, that you know, forgive me as I've forgiven them. Mm. Thank you. Um, and then we've got one, uh, just one final question. So uh, you mentioned that in sort of halfway through the psalm, in, in verse eight, the perspective switches from uh, from God speaking instead of David speaking. Sorry, I'll just read out the question rather than trying to rephrase it. Yeah, so okay. how do we know that verse 8 is a switch to God speaking to David rather than David speaking to us as his readers, which yeah. is how you could possibly read, read yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, good. Somebody's paying attention and looking at that, that verse. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, because I think that, uh, because it does it in, in other places in the psalm, but I think if you read... Read what they're saying. Uh, is David going to be our counsellor? Uh, maybe you're thinking that because we're reading what David's written, then he's our counsellor. But, but then it goes on, doesn't it, to be about the bit in the bridle. So, so it's talking about God wants a relationship with us. David doesn't want a relationship with us. He's just passed on what happened to him and is saying, call upon the Lord. He's, he's not directing it to himself. He's directing us to God. So it makes a lot of sense that that is then God replying. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, so thanks thanks for the questions.